Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mom and Dad are Fighting is brought to you by Prudential's 4040 Vision, a multimedia microsite exploring what life and the future looks like to today's 40-somethings. Hear what inspires real people, the hopes they have for tomorrow, and much more. See yourself in their stories at slate.com slash 4040vision slash family. And by Little Passports. Keep your kids busy with Little Passports, the award-winning subscription for kids. Right now, Mom and Dad are Fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month by going to littlepassports.com slash momanddad or by using the promo code momanddad. And by bowlandbranch.com, the company that makes luxury betting affordable. Get the nicest sheets you've ever owned for about half the price of what stores and boutiques are charging. Order right now, and they'll give you $50 off a set of sheets plus free shipping. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H dot com, and use the promo code MOMANDDAD. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, December 17th, the Dan Goes to the Mall edition. I'm Allison Benedict, an editor at Slate and the mom of Harry 7, Sam 4, and Wally 2. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm also an editor at Slate, and I am the dad of Lyra, who is 10, and Harper, who is 8. And we're both in the New York studio looking at each other. So weird. Very and, weird. And Dan is sitting. Normally he stands, but he's sitting. I couldn't make the printers work, so I had to bring my laptop into the studio, and I didn't want to hold a laptop the whole time. I like it. It's uh, the only thing that could stop me from my usual devotion to making you feel uncomfortable. On today's show, we'll talk to education writer Sarah Carr about the Every Child Succeeds Act, or as Dan keeps calling it, the new No Child Left Behind. I literally didn't know it had a name until you just said It has a name. <laughs> yeah, Dan's done a lot of research for this episode. Uh, then Dan and our producer, Anne, are headed to the mall. I'm at a mall in Paramus, New Jersey, talking to dads about how they really feel about holiday shopping. Anyway, that's going to be really exciting. And yeah, listen up. Also, Parenting Triumphs and Fails, a listener email about rebuilding trust after hitting a child. And Slate's executive producer of live programming, Faith Smith, will join us in our Slate Plus segment to reveal her own parenting tribe for fail and probably to nag us about planning for our live show. Speaking of, Dan, take it away. Yes, we do need to do some planning for this live show. We are coming to Brooklyn. So Brooklynites, book your cool downstairs neighbor for babysitting now uh, because we are coming to the Bell House on January 26th. Allison and I, along with very special guests, will be there to argue live on stage and to meet listeners and hear your triumphs and fails for a change. Go to slate.com slash live to buy tickets for the show and for our special pre-show cocktail hour. Slate Plus members get 30% off their ticket price, so you could also join Slate Plus while you're there. We really hope to see you there. I think the show will be really super duper fun. Also, alert, alert, we just want to announce that we're taking a break for the holidays. So after this show, our next show will be on January 7th. 7th. Uh, So stay tuned for that. 
Yes. We need like our own little alert sound, like a crying baby, or like what should it be, like a slamming <laughs> Just teenager's you, door. Just you yelling at Harry. <laughs> okay, on to triumphs and fails, Dan. Uh, okay, I have a triumph this week. It is a a triumph of the super privileged person, but I'm embracing it anyway because I'm very happy with it. Uh, my triumph is that I think I have convinced everyone in my family to stick to a gift limit at Christmas this year. Um, I have been very uh, annoyed and sometimes depressed by our Christmas sprawl over the last few years. Partially, it's just that we have a lot of different relatives giving presents. We have my mom and we have my dad and they give separate presents. And we have my brother and his family and Alia's mom and dad and Alia's brother. And so just like these presents just sort of accumulate because, you know, everyone gives two presents or three presents. Or if you're a grandparent, you give like six presents to each kid. Um, And so we just have this recipe for these endless Christmas mornings that go from being joyous to being just like obscene. There is just like... The excess is crazy. There's just present opening stretching past lunch. And it's not that the gifts are necessarily extravagant, though sometimes people do get really nice gifts. But it's more that people just feel like they're caught up in this arms race and you just have to give lots of things. And everyone has to open lots of things so you wrap everything. Are you talking about just for your girls or – for, for like mostly for the, the girls, yeah. but for also for everyone, like we just end up getting like things that we don't yeah. need to open on Christmas morning. And it just like seemed like too much. It was just too much. And I know that this is a complaint that is both grinchy and snotty, but I still stand by it because it was really driving me crazy. So this year we um, were going on a trip at Christmas, which I think is a very nice treat that we're excited about. And we took this occasion to say, Look, we are not even going to be in our home. We're spending money on this trip. Let's just do one present per recipient. You guys do that for us and our kids. We will do that for you and your kids. Uh, It doesn't need to be a big fancy present. It can be a simple present. But resist the impulse to just like wrap everything you see just because it's fun to imagine the look on Harper's face when she opens like the snow globe that you got for a dollar. There has been some resistance to this notion. From who? Let me guess. Well, so my my kids are pissed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They are very upset, but they're not the only ones. Uh, I think Alia is a little bit dubious. Like, she keeps sending me emails that are like, what about this? And I'm like, we already got all our presents. And she's right. The thing that she thought of would be a great present. Um, But I'm like, I'm trying to hold firm. Uh, And I also had to text my mom the other day because she sent me a text that just said, what flavor of Twizzlers does Alia like? And I had to write back, don't get Alia Twizzlers for Christmas. Because that's your only present. No, no, because she's already gotten Alia, I'm sure, already too many presents. But she also wants to get her some Twizzlers and wrap them and send them in a box (laughs) because she just likes the idea of Alia opening Twizzlers. So anyways, whatever. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. It's possible everyone is ignoring me and Christmas will just be as insane as ever. But I feel like I'm standing firm and I'm proud of myself for standing firm. Um, Yeah, no, I think that's great. I also think I have a really tough time thinking of a lot of like when people like all everybody asks what to get our kids like I don't they don't there's not that much stuff they want actually I mean right. sure if you take them to the store they'll point at everything but like if they're when they make their list it's not that much stuff yes there's very little they need at the top of Harper's list this year not even a, need but yes, want yes at the I top mean, of Harper's list was a one million dollar bill <laughs> Which, like, it's that a should good, cover everything. It's a smart ask. Yeah. yeah, it covers everything else you might possibly need. All right, Allison, what do you have? Um, I'm going to actually toss my fail aside, the fail that I had prepared <laughs> about missing Sam's Hanukkah party at preschool, um, which also is kind of involved gifts, and say that 
Hanukkah, which just ended, I wish I had done the one gift plan because what I did instead, you know, Hanukkah goes on for eight nights. So when I was growing up, I think we got a little present every night. And we never really succeed in doing that with my kids. And this year, we kind of sort of asked them how they wanted to handle it. I don't know why. Why do we ever do that? Ask them how they no, want to handle have. it. never. Right. Yeah. And they voted. They wanted, like, a bunch of gifts at once and then nothing else. Mm-hmm. Or the big gifts and then nothing else. Not a lot of little things. So we did that the first night. Really? They voted to not delay gratification? That's right, weird. Right. So we did that the first night. And then I somehow was, like, shocked and surprised when the second <laughs> night and the third night and the fourth <laughs> night, they were like, where is my stuff. And then like my parents sent something. So then I think they had something on the fourth night and then not again on the fifth night and then not again on the sixth night, but they did on the seventh night because I felt guilty for missing Sam's Hanukkah party and then bought him something. And then the eighth night, nothing. So I felt like this both accomplished nothing and it understandably threw them into some like all they thought about for eight days was like, is this the night we're getting it or is this not the night we're getting it? That's all they wanted to know. If they got it, they were excited. If they didn't, they were pissed. It just caused a lot of turmoil that didn't need to be there. I think either like first night, last night, little things every night, or I don't know, what's the third option? Just celebrate Christmas. (laughs) And (laughs) my sister told me that in Israel, where she lives, they don't even do presents on Hanukkah, which somehow I never realized until this year. And she was reading her son a book that came from the U.S. about Hanukkah, and he was like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? But maybe we should just do no presents, but I know we won't do that because uh, we're competing with Christmas. Right, right. Well, and I mean, I, presents are fun, but yes, it seems like, definitely seems like a real strategy is better than an ad hoc bullshit right, strategy. Right, like all day long, they're just at school right. thinking like, is tonight the night? Right, could you imagine like waking up every morning for eight <laughs> mornings in a row and being like, is, am I getting something? It's very yeah. stressful. I think it was really stressful for them. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's a fail, but you know, it is a fail that in the end ended with them getting a bunch of presents. It did. Yeah. So. Okay. Let's hear from our first advertiser, Prudential. Today's 40-somethings are charting their own courses, sometimes by choice, but many times out of necessity. Caring for aging parents, starting new careers midlife, juggling today's financial realities with planning for retirement, and much more. Prudential's 4040 vision brings these challenges and others into sharper focus through real-life interviews and commentary from 40-somethings, plus a compelling four-part podcast on first-time parenthood in your 40s with radio and television personality Faith Saley. Be sure to experience it all at slate.com slash 4040vision slash family. Okay, back to the show. Last week, President Obama signed the Every Student Succeeds Act into law, ending the long reign of No Child Left Behind and effectively sending power over K-12 public schools in our country back to the states and local school districts. Or at least that's what I think the new law does. To help explain it to us in more detail and to tell us what it means for your local school, education writer and editor Sarah Carr is joining us on the phone. Sarah is the editor of The Teacher Project at Columbia's Graduate School of Journalism, a slate partner in covering K-12 education. Hey, Sarah. Hey, how are you? I'm good. So tell us the basics. What does the Every Child Succeeds Act do, besides make it difficult for me to say it? And (laughs) how is it different from No Child Left Behind? Yeah, no, it is a tongue twister. Um, Well, it it, it holds the line on testing um, in that it it still keeps the um, requirement for annual testing, but it gives um, states a lot more flexibility as to what those test scores mean and how they're done. No Child Left Behind had this whole series of of sanctions in place for what would happen if, if schools didn't meet different 
test score goals and benchmarks. And states now have much more autonomy in terms of what the goals are and, and what the potential sanctions are for, um, for schools that don't meet them. And it also, um, one thing that a lot of Obama's No Child Left Behind waivers did in recent years um, was kind of force states' hands in terms of having to tie um, the evaluations of teachers to student outcomes, i.e. test scores, um, and the new law makes that moot so that states no longer have to base student evaluations partly on student test score results. But I think one thing to remember just in in looking at what this new law does and doesn't do is that a lot of what people in recent years have been blaming on No Child Left Behind is not necessarily No Child Left Behind, um, and that No Child Left Behind is is not common core, and there were certain things that the um, Obama and um, U.S. Secretary of Education Arne Duncan incentivized under Race to the Top that were separate from Common Core, separate from No Child Left Behind, but kind of all get tied together. Is there any indication of how states now, I mean, states now have to all come up with their own system of what they want to tie tests to, how they want to handle these changes? Are they all going through separate processes now or? Pretty much. I mean, they have to develop a plan and and turn it over to the feds. And there are, there are a few specifics written in, in that, you know, there has to be some sort of accountability mechanism that states devise for schools that fall in the bottom 5%. When it comes to things like test scores, there also has to be some sort of mechanism that's triggered for schools that graduate less than 67% of their students. But No Child Left Behind in the 2002-2007 period was very, very specific just in terms of, you know, you didn't meet this benchmark mark, you had to provide tutoring services to every kid at this school. You didn't meet this. You had to provide kind of opportunities for transfer to other public schools. And the there was sort of the ultimate threat of um, principals being fired and schools being closed down. And the, the new law is, is nowhere near that prescriptive and, and does leave it up to states to come up with their own overarching plans. What does uh, what does the new bill do for early childhood education? I feel like that's been a sort of stated priority for everyone, but no one spends money on it. Yeah, it um, it's it provides two hundred and fifty million dollars to expand early childhood and, and pre kindergarten, and that's been that's been one aspect I don't think has been talked about or promoted as much, just with all of the the focus on standards and testing. You know, early childhood education, it's it definitely took a hit with the recession, um, and a lot of states have either kind of scaled back on quantity or, or quality or both in terms of their offerings. But it is an area where, over time, there has been a lot of bipartisan support. And so I think the, the money for early childhood education is another sign of sort of the, the continued bipartisan support in that area. $250 million actually does not sound like a lot. But this, this law passed with overwhelming bipartisan support when that just never happens. <laughs> um, and there are like huge ideological divides in education. Why is it something that everyone could, could agree on? Yeah, and and No Child Left Behind, the original in 2001, also passed with overwhelming bipartisan support. Um, So that's interesting and just history to keep in mind. But um, I think that the the left and the right are are pretty much responding to different things. Um, On the right side, they're touting this as sort of a decline in, in federal overreach. I mean, on the right, they are. And on the on the left, people are much more saying that it'll 
help with sort of over-testing of kids and with attacks on teachers and teachers' unions, particularly since there isn't this incentive still to tie teacher evaluations to student test scores. I mean, I think one thing that unites both conservatives and liberals um, in some of their opposition to No Child Left Behind and support of this law is that in the last couple of years, you've really seen the spread of education reform's impact to middle and upper middle class communities. In the early years of No Child Left Behind, the effects were much more concentrated in low-income communities. And so some of the pushback that you've seen, whether it's sort of the opt-out testing or the anti-common core, I think underscores kind of this this longstanding hypocrisy and obliviousness that a lot of Americans have about sort of what's happening in other people's schools and just this idea that sort of what's what's good for kids in struggling urban schools might not be good for my kid in the suburbs. Right. Well, it seems like definitely one of the things that people, many people were responding to that they said they disliked about No Child Left Behind was this notion of a one-size-fits-all solution for every school. But in Mm -hmm. fact, it seems like the last 10 years have shown that there have been different solutions for different schools. And when those solutions reach middle class or upper middle class schools, that's when people started raising hell. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned testing. And um, and I think that that's something that concerns a lot of people, especially, as you say, people on the left. Um, But you also said that in a way, this new legislation holds the line on testing. What what actual effect on testing do you think this will have? I mean, it does give states more more freedom to experiment. It doesn't change the overall annual testing requirements. You know, No Child Left Behind codified this testing in math and reading, at least for third through eighth grade and once in high school. But it gives them more flexibility in terms of the way they want to approach testing. You know, they could decide they want to have one big test or like a bunch of sort of mini tests spread over the course of the school year. Um, so it, it really, I think, will vary on a state-by-state basis how the extent to which they try and use the new flexibility to, to really ease some of the, the pain that people have been expressing around over-testing. So 10 years from now, what do you think the legacy, or I don't care, 10 years from now, whatever, in the future, what do you think the legacy of No Child Left Behind will be? I mean, I think the big one is what we were just talking about is just testing, testing, testing. I mean, it really changed the nature of American schooling in that way. I mean, when I was going to elementary and middle school in the 1980s and 1990s, every few years we would have one big test we would sit down for for a week, but um, but there just was not nearly as much time and emphasis on standardized testing. And I think to some degree, at least, that's just not going away. <laughs> I also think No Child Left Behind, as much as it's been kind of maligned and sort of blamed for all these problems, I think it, it did shine an important spotlight on some pretty big gaps and inequities in our society when it comes to both kind of educational opportunity and attainment. But I don't know that it did all that much to kind of address or alleviate them. I think it it mostly just shone a spotlight. All right. I have a big macro question for you. And I think it's slightly frivolous, but there might be a real answer that I'm not thinking of, which is, uh, so I'm sort of struck by the difference between the names of the old bill and the new one. Like, mm-hmm. So what does it mean that once we were worried about leaving children behind, but now we are ready to tell everyone that every child will succeed? Is it just a matter of that spotlight that we were finally shining 10 years ago on this notion that children were 
falling, failing because of the system, or is there more to it than that? You know, I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think I would hesitate to say that it kind of speaks to some broader kind of shift in American thinking. I mean, they're all, both of them are kind of bullshit names. <laughs> um, and, but, and I'm sort of, you know, having typed NCLB as an education reporter hundreds and hundreds of times in stories, I'm already sort of praising myself for the number of times over the next decade I'll be using ESSA. I think it's just sort of an attempt to put as, as positive a spin as possible on it, which is sort of the nature of politics. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's like the same thing, but people got in a room where we're like, let's make it more positive. Right. Let's, yeah. Right. How like can we PR. pass the same bill, but with a different name? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay, great. Thank you so much, Sarah. This has been really interesting. Uh, you'll have to come on again to explain something else to us. Yeah, please. All right. Thanks. 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 Take care. You too. All right, let's move on and hear from Little Passports. Mom and Dad are Fighting is brought to you by Little Passports. Are you looking for the perfect gift for your kids this holiday? Because uh, time's running out. Give them the gift of adventure with a subscription to Little Passports. They'll receive monthly packages in the mail filled with letters, souvenirs, stickers, and super fun activities, each featuring a new country like Japan or Kenya. It's a really fun way for kids to learn about geography and cultures around the globe right from your kitchen table. You, you, your first Little Passports package comes with an adorable suitcase and a world map so you can follow the Little Passports kids around the world. Uh, Harper still loves her Little Passports membership. Uh, it's her favorite subscription. Mom and Dad are Fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month today by going to littlepassports.com slash momanddad or using the code momanddad at checkout. But if you use the URL, you don't even need the code. It's littlepassports.com slash momanddad. This is actually the Hanukkah present that my parents got my kids. Finally, after all this time. Sorry, Little Passports. But <laughs> it's okay. They've been <laughs> dining off me forever. <laughs> But it's great. We're especially excited about the maps, which we've hung on their walls. They seem like they get out of bed at night to look at the map and ask me about cities and yeah. countries. Uh, it seems it seems like it's going to be really fun. They liked it more than I thought they would. Well, also, they didn't even know they were getting a gift till that thing showed right. up that day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Okay. On to our listener question. Each week, we take a listener question and try to answer it. Got questions? Call us at 424-255-7833. There are no dumb questions. We want to hear from you. This week, however, we are taking a listener email instead, also acceptable. And we have Dan Griffin, a clinical psychologist and family therapist in the D.C. area, here to help us answer it. Hey, Dan. Hello. So here is the question from an anonymous listener. How do you recover and rebuild your relationship with a young child after you physically hit them in a complete parenting meltdown? Let's assume the parent has already had all the internal narrative about ruining their kid's life forever, being literally the worst person alive, and never being able to rebuild trust. So, Dan, what do you think? It's a tough question. I really want to hear what Dan has to say. Okay. I guess I have a couple reactions to the question. I think that we're all aware that there are no perfect parents out there, but I think we're all sort of subject to what I think, you know, parent perfectionism, and I think that's like the sworn enemy of good parenting. And um, I think that, uh, you know, what what we have often as parents is we have these, like, particular moments, you know, that we would absolutely not want to have broadcast, you know, anywhere beyond our own uh, thinking. But the moments are generally more important to us. And and really what I think uh, this listener and I think all of us have to remind ourselves is, is really that like, this is a, it's about that they're a step on the journey 
that parenting is more is a marathon, you know, not a sprint. And that um, I think with regard to this, I would suggest that the parent needs to be like sort of a behavioral optimist. You have to like act as an optimist would act in this in this case. That you have to you can trust that that the, the whole idea of recovering and rebuilding is already a work in progress. It's, it's like our immune system. Like we don't have to tell ourselves to start to, you know, uh, stop the wounds from bleeding or start scabbing or whatever. Like it begins to work automatically. And we're wired for, for connection, and kids are wired to connect, reconnect, to trust, and to love. And I think having that as like sort of a backdrop, that kids will really respond to the, I think, this, the, the optimism that this is going to happen, that, that there's a, a chance here that, to, I guess, model for kids that, that you know, one people make a mistake. And I think it's really important for, for this parent and, you know, any parent in this situation to not yield to shame, you know, but to learn from, like, the guilt. Like, I did something that hurt someone that I love, and I don't want to repeat that. Sorry to interrupt that. I just was really struck by something that you said, which is this notion that you use it as a moment to not only to sort of get over and to try and get past your shame, but to teach in a way that no one is perfect and everyone makes mistakes. I know that my impulse in a situation like this would be to like bury this as deep as possible and like never talk about it again, never bring it up under any circumstances. I assume that's probably wrong, but I would also be very nervous about the ways in which I might bring up this horrible thing that I did that I feel terrible about. Do you have advice for this listener on how how you might actually enter into that conversation or how careful you should be in a conversation like that? Yeah, I, I, I think wanting to bury it is, is yielding to shame. And I believe that um, it's a really important lesson for, you know, for the, the parent and the child is that, like, you know, we're, we're, we're going to make a lot of mistakes in the course of our relationship. It's really the arc of the, the relationship over time that results in what, you know, our... our Global take on, on was you know was that a did I have a good experience growing up or not? And I think that I'm finding that my kids, I they have uh, a 19 and 15 year old. They'll never uh, not want to listen to things that where if I can admit where I made a mistake or screwed up, they'll have their, their attention will be riveted. And if you don't bring it up or if you don't address it, you can be pretty assured that the child will bring it up at some later point um, because. The child picking up, uh, they're pretty good at picking up on shame, and it can later be you know, sort of wielded as a, as a weapon or as a negotiating uh, tool. But kids will respond a lot more to what you do than, like, what you say. And I would suggest to the mom, like, it's just to trust that this is, you know, that the, the repair thing is already happening. I think her, her test is just to own it, you know, acknowledge it, underline it. Uh, and then it's what you do. Like, how do you express your felt love for your kid? And it's, that's your willingness to um, to listen and, and to you know, broach this topic, if that's the case, to reassure uh, and to own responsibility. I made a mistake. That was a, a bad thing to do. And I'm not going to you know, let that happen again. Yeah, that's very good advice. Thank you. I think it's particularly good advice because it, it's... Like, I, it's the exact opposite of what I would do in that situation. <laughs> so I'm really glad that we right. called you. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Okay. Okay. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Mom and Dad are Fighting is brought to you by Bull and Branch. As many of our listeners know, one thing that parenting is really great for is making sure that you never sleep a full night again ever in your entire life. Last night, for example... 
I was awakened by our dog, by Harper asking if she could get a glass of water, by our dog again, uh, by a DM from a very enthusiastic early rising coworker, and then by Harper. So the least you can do is make sure that the 75 minutes of deep sleep that you get each night are spent on really comfortable sheets. So try Bull and Branch. Go to bullandbranch.com where you can get great sheets without paying department store prices. Go online to bull, that's B-O-L-L, like a cotton bowl, and branch.com, and they'll let you try their sheets risk-free for 30 nights. If you go to bullandbranch.com today, you'll get 20% off your entire order, not just sheets, but towels, blankets, duvet covers, everything they sell, plus free shipping. Just use the promo code MOMANDDAD. That's bullandbranch.com, promo code Mom and Dad. And now back to the show. All right, we are out here at the uh, Westfield Garden State Plaza Shopping Center in Paramus, New Jersey. It is packed for Christmas time uh, with families and couples and kids all over the place. We're going to ask a whole bunch of dads how they really feel about Christmas shopping, about the stress of the holiday season, and we're going to ask them, what's the, what's the actual right number of gifts to get a kid? I think everyone's going to agree with me that one is the right number. So we're talking to dads about their Christmas shopping experiences. I find as a dad that I sometimes have anxiety about shopping and that I worry about what to get my kids. Do you enjoy shopping or is it something that like stresses you out? I don't enjoy shopping. This, this is like the second time this year I've been in a mall. You would avoid this if you possibly could? I would avoid could. this if I possibly could, yes. How old are your kids, if I may ask? They're old. They're uh, 25, 22, and 17. So 18, actually. 18. 18. Uh, we won't let that kid know that you got it wrong. So I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. For me, Christmas is still like they make a list and they're so excited about Santa and everything. How does it evolve over the years? Does it become fun in other ways? Does it change for the better or for the worse? No, it's, it's all downhill as they get older. Um, <laughs> the list gets shorter. And more expensive, the, the big, you know, the important items get more expensive, whether it's a computer or a, you know, but a lot of things too, also like, you know, that they need wind up becoming Christmas gifts. Right. Like, right. N- they need boots, well, that's. <laughs> kid, you're getting them for Christmas, so that, right. Now becomes a Christmas right. gift. interview suit, that, that's your Christmas present. Right. right. <laughs> Here's, here's the last question for you. Philosophical question. What is the right number of Christmas presents to get a kid? What age? Well, I was thinking any age, but let's say uh, let's say you're a 17-year-old or you're an 18-year-old. What's the right number of presents to get that 18-year-old? Eh, probably five. five. And when that 18-year-old was eight, how many presents then? Probably between eight and ten. That's good. Yeah. That's, a, that's a nice haul. Yeah, well, a couple of things would be, you know, they wouldn't realize it, but they would be like $5 items. Right, right, right. <laughs> it was just the time right. to open it up. And Have you no. um, have you broken it to your kids about Santa Claus yet? What about him? He doesn't exist. I don't understand. What are you uh, saying? What I meant to say was, have you broken it to your kids that Santa Claus sometimes doesn't bring gifts to older kids over the age of 18? I don't know what you're talking about. You're a great man. Thank you for the Christmas spirit. 
Uh, so, hey, I'm Dan. Uh, Hector? Hector? Yeah, Hector. How are you? Good to meet you. Um, so, I'm talking to dads about how they feel about Christmas shopping. Is it something they, is this shopping for the Christmas season something you like or something you like endure? Well, I usually buy all my stuff throughout the year. So, I concentrate more on my daughter on, on the holidays. And we go around, come on weekends, whenever she sees something. And if it's too crowded during the weekend, I just told her, like, last weekend, it's come in the middle of the week, so it's less people. Yeah. And she actually picked the stuff she likes, she buys it, and uh, we go out with Mary Way. Um, may I ask her a question? How old are you? Nine. You're nine? So my daughters are 10 and 8. They're right around your age. Um, did you write a letter to Santa this year, or do you are, are you not interested in that? I wrote to Santa. What's the number one thing on your list? Uh, 2015 Barbie doll. Oh, good call. That's very interesting. Do you feel as though Santa is probably going to bring that to you, or are you nervous about whether that's going to come? Santa's going to bring it to me. You seem very confident. I have a rule in my house that each kid just gets one gift, one Christmas gift. What do you think of that rule? Not very good. <laughs> so you, don't, you don't think my kids will like that? Because they should get whatever they want. Though not all of it, just some. What do you think is the perfect number of presents for a kid to get on Christmas? Five or ten. Five or ten, you said? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a real range, though. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. Yeah, Merry Christmas. So, you're shopping with this young gentleman here? Oh, yeah. For yeah. Christmas presents right now? Christmas, and uh, he wants everything, you know. Do you know the number one thing that he wants? Uh, I know what, what he wants, you know. He wants a toy, he wants uh, uh, games, uh-huh. he wants a PlayStation. Oh, you want, you want a PlayStation? Four. He wants to don't get him a PlayStation 3. No. This kid wants a PlayStation 4. Yeah, That's right. PlayStation 4. So, what do you think is the right number of presents for a kid to get at Christmas? What's the number? Like a thousand? One? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's weird. Right? That number it's like... What's the number? Like 500? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many gifts do you think a, you should get at Christmas? How many? 500. Uh, too much, 500. right? No, at least probably like, I don't know, five maybe. Yeah. So I have a rule in my family that each kid only gets one present. What do you think about that rule? Is it a good idea? Yes. It is? You do think it's a good idea? Why do you think so? Because, because my brother wants some, a PlayStation 4. Uh, so, you, so you believe if it's one present, it must be an amazing present. A, a ginormous present. A ginormous present. I bet you're right. I bet you're right. Please tell my kids that. I want 600. <laughs> 600. Yeah. yeah. All right. But Thank yeah. you very much, yeah, no guys. Problem. Okay. Happy, happy, happy Christmas. All right. So uh, that's a wrap. I think we pretty universally determined that everyone agrees with me that one is the right number of presents to give a kid. Maybe zero, but one at the most. Um, and I've been sort of pleasantly surprised how much thought these dads give 
to Christmas shopping. They seem, even the one who doesn't want to be here, he like he has been thinking about this a lot, and he has a plan, and he enacts that plan, and it matters to him. So you go, Dads of America. You all love your kids more than I love mine. Back to the studio. Okay, let's move on to recommendations. Dan, are you going to recommend the burger that you're eating in front of my face? It's so delicious. Uh, But no, I'm not going to recommend that. Why don't you take the first recommendation today while I eat this burger? (laughs) Okay. This Jew would like to recommend cutting down your own Christmas tree. Do you do this, Dan Coyce? Absolutely not. We uh, would never dream of defiling the spirit of Christmas. Oh, wait, you mean like to bring home and put up in your house? Oh, no, no, we don't do that. If you've gotten any sense of my husband, John, through this podcast, it will come as no surprise to you, not because he's an outdoorsman or a manly man, but because I don't know how to fit it into his, the, 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 for the, John same, reason, the same reason we have a manual mower, <laughs> uh, that the moment we got out to the burbs, he decided he's not content to buy our tree at Home Depot or wherever and insisted that we drive out to some tree farm in Jersey horse country which I didn't really even know existed, uh, and cut down our own tree, which I rolled my eyes about. But actually, it was a really fun outing. The kids really loved it. They got to run around this big open area with tons of Christmas trees. Uh, John sounded like he was delivering a baby while he was chopping it down, (laughs) which I greatly enjoyed. I liked watching the struggle. Uh, And the tree was much cheaper than the ones we used to buy in Brooklyn. I feel like that would also, if my family did that, that would be a great way to remind my children that parents are human and they fail too. Yeah. Like, for instance, how I would fail to chop down the tree and then we would go buy a tree. Would you guys just, like, break into gender norms when you got there and you would be in charge of cutting it down? Or you think like, possibly I, I'm pretty would be, sure we would both all, have yeah. to cut it down together, right? Okay. There's no way we would, I would be able to cut it down myself. I'm not a man like John. <laughs> no, no. True. Uh, that's a good recommendation. That's super fun. We would never do that in a million years. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so obviously I am recommending Ace of Hates, now available for sale at aceofhates.com. Were you a little bit hoping that I would recommend it so you didn't have to? That's why I gave you a deck of it, (laughs) I just got my deck today, and what I said to Dan was, it looks wonderful. It looks very professional. Really? No, it does. It's like wrapped in plastic. It's hard to open like a real thing. thing Uh, But I have never listened to Dan talk about this. Every time he says Ace of Hates, I just tune out and all I hear is like, wah, 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 wah. And so I don't know what this game is at all. So... This is a game, Allison. She she just her just glazed over. Uh, so I recommended this game that we our family played at home with just like a regular deck of cards on the show this past fall, and so many listeners asked if we could make an uh, actual version of the game that How they many? could buy. Literally, tens of listeners asked if we could make a version of this game that they could like buy on their own. So I did. I designed the cards. I hired a really great cartoonist named Kevin Cannon to draw these amazing graphics for them and it is now available for sale uh it is a really fun game for adults drinking beer together or for kids drinking milk together or any combination of the above uh anyways you can order it if you want it's at aceofhates.com but that's not my actual recommendation my real recommendation for this allison is it weird allison that this is our last show together because by the time we air our next show i'll be retired with my ace of hates millions (laughs) do you feel like a little tug at your heart 
about how long we've been together and how it's all coming to an end now. Anyways, my recommendation is for a book. Um, we get a lot of requests on the show for segments about divorced or separated parents. I'm hoping that we will do a segment on that soon. Um, we've we've got some stuff in the works. But in the meantime, I have a really interesting book on the subject to recommend. Uh, it's by an artist named Anastasia Higginbotham. It is called Divorce is the Worst, and it is published by the Feminist Press. Uh, it's definitely a book for kids. It is a kind of a picture book, but honestly, I could see it being very useful even to like middle teens um, because of its message and the way that it's conveyed. Uh, it, it's it's very rough and handmade feeling. The book is made out of collages of like garbage bags and scrap paper and drawings. And its message is very simple, but I think also very useful. It's about owning your own feelings and learning to understand that your parents' divorce is not your fault, even though you are the one who suffers many of the ill effects. Uh, I really like the book. I think it's beautiful and good and feels like a good hole in being a book about divorce addressed right at kids. Um, I could see it being really super useful to kids of all ages in this situation. It is called Divorce is the Worst by Anastasia Higginbotham. We will have a link on our show page and at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. That is a great recommendation. Here's my question. If I was in a family that had a rule that you could only get one present and I had to decide between Divorce is the Worst or Ace of Hates, <laughs> which which would you recommend? I would choose Ace of Hates if your marriage is strong and Divorce is the Worst if you're about to get divorced. <laughs> Thanks to our producer, Ann Hepperman, and our intern, Shiva Byatt. Thanks to our guests, Sarah Carr and Dan Griffin. Thanks to the Paramus Mall for just being there. It's Woo-hoo! the Westfield Mall Garden State Plaza, Alice. Oh, shit. As a as a Jerseyite, you should know all the malls by now. Uh, our executive producer is Andy Bowers. Mom and Dad are fighting as part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Allison. And thank you all for listening. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Hi, I'm Elaine Sheldon. And I'm Sarah Ginsberg. And we're the hosts of She Does, a series of audio documentaries that are part biography, part conversation, and completely about women working in media. Every other week, we ask writers, filmmakers, photographers, technologists, among many other creative outlets, what makes them tick. We get personal, because realizing the successful person sitting in front of you was once out of ideas or completely lost, you know, the moments they leave out of their bio, can be just what you need to lift you up and out of a creative crisis. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, what have you. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.